So Money episode 171, Skylar Woodward. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. How's your day going? Today is another day, right? We have another guest and quite the guest, I should say. Skylar Woodward comes to us from San Francisco, where he's worked with one of the biggest names in tech, including one of my old employers as well, Yahoo. He was one of the first engineers of Yahoo Messenger. And he founded the Mac OS iOS team. In 2005, he co-founded Kiva.org. You guys know Kiva, the first online micro-lending website which transformed lives all across the globe. Today, he is the CEO and co-founder of Puddle, which is an online money-sharing network. We're going to talk about this. How does it work? So just to be brief, it basically allows users to borrow up to five times their contribution to the Puddle of money available as long as they return it within six months. So it's collective savings. Many takeaways with Skylar. He has a lot of thoughts about money and how as a society, we should be thinking about money. He uh, goes into talking a lot about Puddle, obviously, because I was very curious about this. It's not social lending per se. It's not an underwritten loan. So what's the format? He talks about his personal financial wins and failures. One of his wins he considers is buying his home in San Francisco, San Francisco proper in 2004, just as the market was on an uphill climb and then crashed and burned. So he fortunately was far ahead of that. And why he does not automate his own finances. I was actually pretty shocked about this. Someone who has always worked in technology, who's coming out with this new technology for solving cash flow issues. He himself is not really that into automation. Okay, let's talk about that. Here we go. Here is Skylar Woodward. Skylar Woodward, thank you for joining us on So Money. It's a pleasure to have you. Hello, thank you. Skylar, you know, you and I sort of uh, kind of met, although I don't know if he can really call it a meeting. We crossed paths at the FinLab event that was sponsored by JP Morgan Chase back earlier this, I guess, uh, spring, where you were competing against several other fintech startups uh, for uh, a placement in the, uh, in the incubator. And this was a very... Your your business puddle, your current business, your your new startup puddle. Mm-hmm. This is uh, what you were talking about. You were sharing it with the audience. It's an online money sharing network. Uh, why? How does it work? Tell us a little bit about puddle, how it works, and why you felt there was a need for this in the marketplace. Sure. So puddle is a tool that allows anyone to access credit, and not based on your credit score, but based on people who trust you with money. So, you know, it it makes a lot of sense that rather than having to take a guess, is this person trustworthy or not, or look at a bunch of data, you simply have a group of people who've gotten to know you through some form. They've set a bunch of money aside, right, that you can access as if you almost all shared sort of a common account. And based on that trust, you can take out your money and your friend's money as long as you promise to repay it, right? 
And that's no different than any other type of credit, except the sources of the, the money that you're borrowing, you know, is much closer to you than an institution. Uh, why did we start this? Well, I grew up in a family where, you know, we always had cash flow issues, right? Uh, my dad got a master's in textiles. Uh, my mom was in education. They both went to university. But my dad kind of didn't look out in terms of the profession he chose. Textiles, you know, has been hit really hard in the last 20 years in the U.S. And so there were times when the heater would break down and we had to decide, do we fix the heater? Do we borrow money? You know, and so I was, I was um, used to this. But when I came to Silicon Valley, um, it seemed like a lot of people didn't identify with this, right? And what do you do when you're short on money? People seem to think that anyone who has to borrow is a failure or, you know, it's their fault because they didn't, you know, save up enough money. seems like savings is the only solution. So that, in conjunction with everything I had learned in building Kiva with my friend Matt Flannery and all the other people who've been involved over the last 10 years, I really began to understand very personally for myself the power of credit to empower people. So even in times when my parents used their credit card to get by, right, or maybe even borrowed some money from people in the church, um, I began to see that that wasn't a shameful thing. It was actually an empowering thing. The puddle system depends largely on the honor code, the honor system. Mm -hmm. you, you as a borrower paying back the everybody else, essentially, and yourself. Mm -hmm. How has that worked? Do you think that as a society we're ready for something like this? Um, are pe what happens if you don't pay back? I think that the oldest generations in America have been ready for this and have been doing this for a long time. And the youngest generations are ready. So there's this interesting divide we see. We see actually a lot of people doing something like Puddle Offline, especially if they've come from a South American or Central American country. Um, they do this physically with a box, but they're not so used to like mobile technologies, right? Or they're not so comfortable with online banking. They're totally comfortable with trusting people. But then on the other spectrum, you see people um, opening their Venmo accounts to other users online, right? And this is that millennial generation. So what that means is, you know, people are already sharing money through these, you know, platforms. They're sharing their data, they're sharing their photos, they're sharing their personal information. And money is just another resource, right? And it's not always the most important resource, right, to people. In fact, some people are much more protective of personal data, right, than mm -hmm. just a little bit of cash that they set on the side. What is the typical profile of a borrower and participant in Puddle? Is this mm -hmm. someone who is looking to um, uh, take out a small loan for a small purchase, a small like gas, food, or is it is it you know we're talking about thousands of dollars? How what's the range? Sure. So the sweet spot for Puddle is between two hundred and fifty dollars and twenty five hundred dollars. And what you see is that because. Puddle's not a place where you can say, I want a thousand. And then magically the community just comes together and finds it for you, right? It's not crowdfunding, but it's also not a loan that's underwritten. So you actually have to steadily build up your available, you know, cash flow in your network. So a lot of people start just by borrowing 50. And some people don't really need the 50. They need more than that. And in other cases, we have Lyft drivers who $50 covers the gas that they need for their rides on the weekend, right? Either way, money's fungible. It's a start. They start by borrowing 50. And then you find within a few weeks, they have hundreds, then thousands of dollars. So what are these people borrowing for? 
it really could be anything because you know that's that's what money is intended. No to one's do, judging right? on the right. platform, right? And that's another thing too. Yes. So you but have to really prove yourself. You, it's like a meritocracy to be able to then get to the point where you can borrow up to twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's true. And so you know, people often borrow what for whatever the amount of money that they have available in Puddle covers, right? Um, in fact, even myself one time, I might have said, oh, I'm borrowing for a vacation, you know, but I already took the vacation. It just sounded like the cool thing to post on the site. Um, you know, sometimes people want to tell a story uh, through the platform. The thing that really matters, though, is that you have a connection with those other people and that you they know that you're good for it. So it's money sharing, not to be confused with crowdfunding, not to be confused right. with a loan that's underwritten, and not to be confused with a credit card. Right. Although one thing that is pretty interesting is we we sometimes think of Puddle as a social credit card. It works like a credit card. It's not like you do all this work and application to get some money. Once people trust you, that money's always there. It's this thing that is kind of elusive to a lot of people in America called a line of credit. If you're a millionaire, a billionaire, you have tons of lines of credit, right? Um, like the black card, right? That sort of elusive black card. But this is something that people have had forever um, throughout civilization. And we're just sort of making it available again to people through the online social behavior that's evolved in the last you know, five years. Mm-hmm. Now, Skylar, you've been working very closely in this, uh, in this realm of money and community building, money and community with from you know your days at Kiva and now with Puddle. So I'm curious for you as an individual, how do you see the world financially? What's your financial philosophy on on things? Wow, that's a big question. I will definitely say that working in Kiva has radically changed my view on this. Uh, when Matt first came to me with the idea of doing you know micro loans online using PayPal, I thought oh, well, this is cool. I'll never be a VC or an investor. Uh, this is my chance to be a VC to someone someone else who's in a different economic situation. But as I began to see the lives that were changed through that, I was blown away by the power of just a little bit of money to radically change someone's lives. And then I was also, as I began to uh, get to know the infrastructure better and the institutions that were working you know, all over the world, in every country, the story was the same. People said, oh, well, the more money you have, the more trustworthy you are, right? And I said, this is, something seems broken here. There's people with so much opportunity, and all they need is capital to unlock that. And so for me, I, I really felt this is something that's changed what I'm going to focus my life on, is there's platforms like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Kiva, Huddle, whatever tool can unlock capital to people who have amazing potential, um, this is the problem that I'm focused on. Why call it puddle? Was that because uh, it's a pool? It's a literally a, like and pool, the word pool was taken. It's a <laughs> right. Well, you know, pool has sometimes some negative and positive connotations. Right, People right. think of a gambling pool. Oh. You think of a pool, you want to jump in, but puddles seem lighthearted and it's really small. And mm. these groups are really small. And yet, the irony is, you don't need a lot of money to make a huge impact even in our own lives. My co-founder Jean-Claude has this quote, or it's not a quote, something that he says pretty often. He says, um, the money that's available in a community is more than enough to suffice for its needs. We don't ever recognize that potential because we always keep that money locked up in our own bank accounts, right? In America, 
Well, the generation before us, right, my parents' generation, the baby boomers, we always depended on these singular institutions to sort of save us. And we also were fought for uh, fervorously for our independence, right? So we kept all that money, those finances in our own bank account and used it judgmentally when we thought we could help someone, mm-hmm. right? But now you're starting to see that we're realizing the power of putting those resources into play in a trusted manner, right? Our homes, our cars, now our money. And we just thought that it's a pretty radical idea for a lot of people in this country, but but the idea of Puddle seemed like a nice, lighthearted place to start. Can this become something like an ocean uh, or does it need to be a puddle? Like, Can we get to the point where we have people earning their way and showing that they are able to borrow and pay back larger sums of money and that you have maybe, you know, instead of 35 people in a pool, you've got a 350,000 plus people in a pool in the puddle. Right. That that is a very interesting thought. Well, for starters, we already have thousands of people in a puddle, so to speak, right? The puddle itself is a massive growing phenomenon. You only share funds with people that you explicitly trust, right? So you're a sub network in this massive ocean that's growing. But I think part of what we're thinking is, can you access, you know, can you finance a house with this? Sometimes people ask. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because this is based on microfinance models where people rarely borrow money for more than a year. Um, even sometimes it's very rare that they borrow more than three months. And so this model in particular has never really been applied to a situation where people are borrowing for 30 years, right? And you also look at the way that people finance their homes. They don't uh, buy a home that they could uh, build in two years or one year like someone in you in a village in Uganda might, they buy a house that takes them 30 years to pay off, which for me now feels like a really foreign concept. Although, of course, it was the norm. It's what everyone expected of you when you were growing up. And so it's really interesting to think, can Puddle solve that? Because is there even enough money in America for us all to afford the houses that we have, right? Mm -hmm. That wealth doesn't lie with the people that are using Puddle. That wealth lies in institutions, and a very select few number of families and not to judge it, but that's just the way it is. So can you access that? Can you unlock those levels amount of money? Somehow those individuals and corporations would have to get involved. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned earlier on about how growing up you experienced your parents struggling with cash flow issues. So curious to learn a little bit more about your financial upbringing and your perspectives on money, your experiences as a kid and how that has shaped your take on money as an adult. What would you say is the one of, of the many perhaps, but one very crystallizing money moment for you as a kid? It was definitely the time that my mom told me to get a credit card, borrow some money on it, don't pay it all back, and carry a balance and then pay it off, you know, in three or four months. And this sounds so counterintuitive um, to someone who's in college because the message was debt is evil, debt is bad, don't have debt, right? But my mom was actually savvy enough to know, or maybe she'd been this through herself, if you never borrow anything, how is any institution supposed to learn to trust you? And so very early on, I think I got like a little Amex Blue on college campus 
I deliberately, you know, held that balance. And that did start me off on a great uh, path to building a, a good credit score. I don't know. That's a little even counterintuitive to me because I always say pay off the balance in full every month because right. that's really building up your credit score. That's showing that you can borrow and pay off on time in full. So you, did you carry the balance while you were paying interest? Yeah, that's what I said. I carried the balance. Wow. It, it actually is true that if you pay it off every month, your credit score will grow much more slowly, um, if at all. But you're and, paying and that, interest. No, it will grow. It will. It will. And so, and so um, well, maybe this was also different when I started borrowing, but <laughs> but uh, I think it grows faster when you're carrying a balance. Uh, I, I think this is part of the thing, though. We don't know what the answer no, is. No, I know the answer, yes. Skylar. You know the yes, answer. Yes, I do. It's so, so FICO, which measures your credit score, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just, sure. to, just to clarify, um, 30% of your credit score is your debt-to-credit ratio, right? And that's how much you're borrowing or how much you have outstanding versus – your available credit. So if you have a $1,000 limit on your credit card and you're carrying 300, 400, 500 of that month to month, and you, maybe you're making the minimums, but you're carrying that balance, your utilization is about, you know, whatever. It's, it's that, it's that balance over the available credit limit. So 30%, 40%, 50%. And the higher that ratio is, the lower your score, the more it weighs negatively on your score. So they say the people in this country with the highest credit scores don't have balances on their credit cards. If they do, it's less than 10% of their limit. Right, right. And that's according to FICO. So maybe, maybe, you know, but see, I, what, what your mom told you and what you're telling me, I hear this all the time. Um, and I have gone to maybe actually it's a good article to write because I'm going to actually interviewing someone from FICO this week. I think it's worth clarifying once and for all because there's a mis there's a misperception on there that carrying a balance is good for your credit score. Um, and I think maybe there's we need to still but anyway, not to dwell on that, but sure. I'm, I believe you it helped your credit score. And, and what's interesting is a lot of our users tell us the same thing. They say, hey, I always pay off my credit cards on time or I only use my debit card. It's between well, both. Well, that won't help your score. Using right. your debit card is not going to help your score. And they say that their FICO score hasn't changed because they always pay off on time. Hmm. And so it's interesting. It could be just a misperception. Maybe the FICO score is just moving too slowly, so it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Um, interesting. interesting. Um, well, anyway... Let's talk about failure, shall we? Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm curious too, because you've had so many experiences in the tech world where there's, mm-hmm. where failure is just part of the process, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your biggest financial failure though? And, and what happened? What d- was the outcome? I don't know if I think about it as a failure, but you know, there was a time in my life where I decided that I want to go to Paris for two years. And I lived my whole life being really responsible, saving a lot of money, 401ks, building credit scores. And at a certain point, I thought, you know, it's time for an interesting adventure. And so I moved to Paris, and it's not a place where an American can easily get um, a job or something of income, not only because of visa regulations, but because everything there is so much based on a meritocracy. Uh, sorry, it's not based on a meritocracy, right? So it's based on who you know, how you've grown up in the system. And so I started to operate in this culture, and I had a friend who's a very good mentor to me. She said, you know, Skylar, what are you doing for money? I said, well, what do you mean? Because I knew this person had a lot of savings as well, and I thought, you know, why is she asking this question? And she gave me this very prudent advice, which is like, 
you should all never be spending more than you're making. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, whoa, I thought you hit it big in Silicon Valley, you know, isn't that what you do? You just go. And she's like, she looked at me in the strangest way possible. And I realized, wow, you know, even people who've run into great fortune, this is a really great guiding principle for me. And I wish that I had known that when I went to, I wish I'd thought about, you know, the entire time that I spent overseas in that manner. It's not unlike when you're backpacking right. and you decide that your budget's going to be $30 a day. I think it's a really interesting challenge to say, what am I doing to earn $30 a day while I'm backpacking? That's incredible. What would be your advice today for somebody who wants to travel overseas on a budget? Well, the first thing to do is certainly to come up with a daily budget, right? And also plan, you know, some space for for the uh, days that you want to splurge, right? Um, some days you get sick of going to museums and fancy restaurants. And then other times uh, you get sick of eating peanut butter and wasa every day. <laughs> so I think it's really important to give, it really changes your mentality to feel like you're getting close to the life you're used to living when you have a, um, a decent job back in the States. But in addition to that, do a lot of pre-planning, right? Think about where you're going to stay, which cities are going to be more expensive, uh, and really stick to that budget. I, I, this is an interesting thing. I would always keep a journal of every dollar I spent because it's so easy to go over, right? You spend $5 here, $5 there, and then a ticket, something you didn't um, expect. But then that journal actually became an amazing log of the adventures that I had every day. Um, it may sound a little superficial, but you look at the money you spent and it goes back and jogs your memory of all these amazing experiences you had. So if you're, if Todd, if you're listening, that's my brother. He is in Barcelona right now. <laughs> um, those were some good tips and he's actually hosteling it, but I uh, found a very, very excellent hostel through TripAdvisor and he said it was even better than he thought. And it's like $10 a day. You can't beat that. No. And he's having a blast. Yeah. So there are ways to do it these days, I think, because I don't know, young people are really interested in traveling. There's a lot of ways to connect on for less, you know, overseas with people who are like within your age group or just wanting to get together and you guys can split costs and find ways to save together. So thanks for sharing that. Okay. Let's talk about success, Skylar. What, what would you say is your greatest personal success money? So money moment, as I say on the show, uh, again, this is a personal achievement that has to do with money. You know, I, I was really proud of myself that I was able to buy a house in the Bay area. Um, I mean, that's something that's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) That's something that it was all the factors that had influenced me when I was young. The, you know, the discipline of my parents around savings, the disciplines around, you know, working on my credit, learning how to manage stock options, you know, and figure out what they're worth and, you know, how to not get caught, right? Giving too much of that up to taxes. Man, it was really the culmination of a lot of factors. And then, of course, the financing of the house. Wow. Um, you know, I, and you know, what's really, what I, what really makes me excited about that is having a house in San Francisco, of course, it's something that a lot of you are like, oh, well, that'd be great. But it's been amazing how I've been able to use that as a, as a tool for community in the city. In fact, that was one of the biggest motivating factors for me. It wasn't an investment per se, because everyone I asked said, don't buy the houses right now for investment. Just do it because you want to. And I was really compelled by this idea of being a fixture in the city, someone that wasn't just going to leave in two or three years. And 
as I began to open my home to friends, I'd often have these sort of coffee mornings um, in my house on Saturday. Imagine just like a free coffee bar that you can walk in and meet interesting people. And, you know, my home has paid so many dividends as a place of community and also really an anchor for me, both financially and residentially, you know, when I do travel away. Yeah. So you're in San Francisco proper. I thought maybe the Bay Area. And how long ago did you buy the home? 2004. Oh, okay. So that was actually a great time, right? Because the boom- In a way, we were on a rocket. Yeah. So you were right be- before the- <laughs> Before the- You were in before the, it went the too moon. High. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but man, it was competitive. I remember bidding for a place and it went for $200,000 over price. Wow. And I will just relative to the cost, you know, it went for 30% more than the, the listing price. My so goodness. that's what the market was like then. I'm sure it's similar now. Yeah, it's getting a little. My parents live in the Bay Area. We were just there. It's very heated for sure. But there was a, definitely a time when lots of people were underwater. It was just a really depressing place, real estate wise. Mm-hmm. But um, I think with now the rebirth of a lot of tech startups and, of course, Facebooks, you know, and the Facebooks of the world, I think that's helped a lot. Did you watch Silicon Valley, by the way? I have seen it. Yeah. Is it true? Is it? I mean, they say it's very very accurate as far as how they depict um, that part of the, the country and just how things work and how things get done in the culture. It is pretty accurate. Of course, you know, a lot of it is hyperbole because it's got to be funny. But yeah. but when we watch it sometimes, it's it's actually surprising how much what feels like an outsider, you know, community, which would be Hollywood and whatnot, could get it right. Um, I think if you look there, a lot of our friends actually have been advisors yes. uh, to the show. You'll see them listed every uh, at the end of every episode. So it feels good to feel like they put a lot of effort into not steering too far off course. Well, they're not my friends. I mean, I don't have any pull in, in that area. <laughs> so our friends being the, the residents of Silicon Valley. Yes, yes, yes. I wish they were my friends. Um, <laughs> and actually, we have we share a company in common. Uh, once upon a time, I also worked at Yahoo. I knew you were That's with true. Yahoo. Yeah. I think a different, different um, you know, Yahoo's gone through so many changing of the guards over the year, last 10 years. What, do you have do you have happy memories of working at Yahoo? Was it was do you feel like there was a culture there when you were there? Yeah, I came at a really lucky time. You know, Terry Simmel had recently oh. joined, and he was great at transitioning Yahoo from the web ads or the inter- startup ads that were the bread and butter to the ads that you're used to, you know, running with in Hollywood and New York, right? So Sprite, Pepsi, etc. And then after that, we had a, a second great phase, which was what we call the phase of hack. Um, our friend Chad Dickerson, who's actually now the CEO of Etsy, uh, helped start up what was the first hack days in Yahoo, especially the first open hack day. Oh, like a hackathon. Right. Yeah. And we began to bring in these other companies, too, that really changed the DNA of Yahoo for a while. Uh, delicious, Flickr, upcoming. Some of the best minds in Web 2.0, if you'll say, have had a you know huge influence, had a huge influence on those of us that were there. Um, the difficulty was that a lot of times the leadership wasn't able to stick with an idea long enough to have it bear fruit. Um, wow, Flickr was born out of a hack day. That's pretty. No, that's not true. Flickr oh. was acquired, but oh. Flickr had a, and its culture had a lot to do with the evolution of the hack culture. You know, at Yahoo. Gotcha. And actually, funny enough, had a lot to do with my thinking about you know puddle in a way. Uh, one of the 
people who was sort of leading this moment and thinking about how do we evolve Hakaya, who was Katarina Fake. She's the she's one of the co-founders of Flickr. And we were having this discussion with a small group about how postmodernism, you know, is affect how that relates to what's happening on the internet. And I began to see this trend where you started to see that my parents lived in an age of modernism where everything was consolidating. And this new generation and what we were calling Web 2.0 was this really simple fact about decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. So decentralization of news, decentralization of finances, you know, of who can be a driver to take you from one place to another. And at that point, it just became really obvious that any sort of financial tool that was about centralization was something that was eventually going to die and be replaced, right? We were going to begin to find our own personal security financially as a community. Does that make sense? It does. It's a little confusing because it's like decentralization, but still wanting the community aspect. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I... Decentralization for, I guess, monolithic structures, right? So my parents consume CBS. Right. And... NBC. Traditional. And now people are listening to your podcast. Right? Exactly. Right. We are, there's more choice. There's more, uh, there's more, it's, it's just more, I guess it's a more personalized uh, approach to consumption. And also it's, it, it involves more minds and more ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of different solutions and new pockets of capital in our case that would previously not really be accessed. In a way, it's reverting back to the way society worked before the industrial revolution, right? Everyone lived around a church in a small village and we had these pockets, I guess, of centralization, but there was no massive centralization around one large entity, you know, as a as an entire nation or entire world. What would you say is your number one financial habit? Something that you practice, it doesn't have to be daily, but it's something conscious that you do that helps you be more in tune to your finances or better manage your money. It's a, it's a good one. I don't have an immediate answer for you right now. That's okay. Do you, um, I mean, it could be something as simple as I automate my finances to I meet with my financial planner or some people have told me that they check their bank balance every week, every day, um, or they have an app that they use for something or other. Yeah. Maybe I'm a little old school in the sense that I, very rarely automate any of my finances and I don't trust a lot of my finances to an app that's analyzing it. Um, I actually have this habit of checking in, you know, with all my bills on a regular basis. And it sometimes feels like a burden. Um, but at the same time, it, it requires me to realize when it feels overbearing, I realize the complication of having too many things connected, right? Maybe I'm using too many tools and too many services, and then I, you know, immediately just start to eliminate. Just like when you try to unsubscribe from spam email. Right. You're like, ah, I need less people that are that I'm dealing with around money. I get you. I hear you. I totally hear you. So you actually still send your bills through the mail? You send. Like, I use bill pay. You use bill pay. Okay. But I never automate any of those payments. The only one exception is um, a child I've been sponsoring for a long time in Zambia. And because I want to make sure that he's never without his $30. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got that on auto That's cool. That's so kind. All right. We have uh, almost finished up the show here. But before we go, I'd love to ask you, or rather, they're called so many fill in the blanks. They're, they're kind of like the Mad Libs of, of money, where I start a sentence and you finish it. The first thing that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. 
If I won $100 million tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Invest it in Growing Puddle. <laughs> is, that, is that how much it's going to take? <laughs> no. It's a lot of money. Absolutely. I mean, well, you know, you look at the amount of money that people put into Uber. Right? I know. I mean, if you really want to change the fabric of our society, right, it's, it's going to take a lot of education and a lot of infrastructure to give uh, people this tool. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? It's HBO Now. <laughs> does that count? Can <laughs> of course it does. I, I, I consume HBO Now Sunday nights. I like don't leave the house between 10 and midnight or 9 and exactly. midnight, right? Because it's exactly. Silicon Valley, Veep. Um, do you watch Veep? No, I don't. Okay. I used to hate television, but now it's it's a release after a long day of doing everything else. Sometimes right. Sometimes I just need to... And television's so good these days. That's the other thing. Yeah, idea. right. And you don't have to watch a movie. You can consume it, right, in an hour. Yes. Or Orange hour is the show. New Black is back, and that's going <laughs> to probably eat a lot of my hours this summer. My biggest guilty pleasure, besides HBO Go, that I spend a lot of money on is? Oh, food. In San Francisco, they they said at one time, it's probably not true anymore, that 70% of our income, um, uh, yeah, the revenue in San Francisco was the food industry and it's wow. really hard not to turn down. Uh, yeah, your food's like all delicious. All the amazing places that are around here. Yeah, I was at the Ferry Building uh, earlier this se- season, and um, kind of my first time just hanging out there. And oh my gosh, it's like every once a week in Brooklyn we have a food fair, and this is like every day at the the Ferry Building, just outdoor, indoor, lots of great food. It's hard to just. Pick what to eat. Uh, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is is that money is just it's it's just a construct of our society. It's not a real asset. Uh, money is really what you and the culture around it make of it. I I always thought it was this you know sort of tangible thing. It's like I've got to have more of it. You know, and what can I do without it? And yet, money is just a tool, a tool that we've created. And you know, in our sense, debt is just an effective tool as, you know, dollars and currency that between two people. As long as there is a trust. <laughs> as long as there's trust, yes. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because you mentioned your uh, your sponsor in, is it Zambia? Yeah, the yeah. child sponsor in Zambia. Well, I like to give money to entrepreneurs. When I was growing up, I would give a lot of money to charities and, you know, working in a nonprofit I've seen that it's, it is very difficult as you might hear the Gates Foundation and there's time. It's very difficult to figure out how to give away a lot of money. And you see a lot of inefficiency in uh, charities and in the nonprofit world sometimes. So I often like giving my money to entrepreneurs and that could be through Indiegogo or through Puddle, through Kiva. And, you know, sometimes the, the project doesn't always turn out like you think, but the learnings from that, the culture, the impact that they've created on the world often inspires us all to move forward. That's awesome. How, how connected are you to Kiva these days? Are you, uh, are you, how in touch are you with that, with that team over there? Oh, I check in every so often. One of my favorite days is um, my friend Johnny runs the Kiva Zip program there. It's, uh, it's really what the full manifestation of what we always wanted Kiva to be, uh, which truly peer-to-peer. It's the first time where the borrowers and you know the lenders are sending the money directly to each other 
through PayPal or through M-Pesa in Africa. And they have these days at the Kiva office where they bring in entrepreneurs from all over the Bay Area or sometimes even farther if they can make it. And you get to meet in person some of the businesses that you funded or some of the businesses that are on the site to fund. And I'm just always so impressed by one of the, my favorites was a guy who's making energy bars out of grasshoppers. And we may not think to eat grasshoppers here, but he's like, are you kidding? This is a huge um, sustainable energy source that we're not topping. And surprisingly enough, the, uh, the bars were really tasty. They're a delicacy in some countries. Mm-hmm. All right. And last but not least, I'm Skylar Woodward. I'm so money. That's the name of the show. I'm so money because... Because I spend my time empowering other people to use money as a tool to achieve their dreams. I love it. Thank you so much. Did you have fun? I did. This was a great conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for doing the great work that you do. Congratulations on Puddle. And um, we look forward to following it and, and, um, you know, having the Puddle grow bigger and bigger. Thank you. That is a wrap, everybody. Thank you for joining. Thanks to Skylar Woodward, our guest today, his website, puddle.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Skylar. Wow, he got his name. That's pretty impressive, just like I did, Farnoosh. I guess there aren't that many Skylers or Farnooshes, at least not when Twitter first came about. Anyway, all this information at somoneypodcast.com. You can also get the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And there, just click on Ask Farnoosh. It's a little tool I've got on the website. Just click on it. Boom. You can ask me a question. Type in your questions. Send it to me. It gets right into my inbox. And then I will hopefully respond in the following weekend of So Money Saturday and Sunday. And if you'd like a free one-on-one money session with me, it's quite simple to do so. There's not a whole lot of competition for this, but uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, still, I appreciate it. Everybody who wants a one-on-one with me, if you want to qualify, go to go to iTunes and leave a review for this show. And every Saturday at the top of the show, I pick one new reviewer and that person receives a free 15-minute session with me over Skype. So if you're interested in that, I would love to hear from you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Skylar for his great answers on the show today. Hope your day is so money. Money.